let's move this whole thing along to find ourselves in the middle of midday. Another edition for you as we head into a Tuesday that could be uh, one that gets us pretty wet by the time we get to the midnight hour tonight. And we'll uh, fill you in on everything that's going on on your rural radio network stations and weather center coverage as we get on into the evening. Looks like it could get just a little bit on the bumpy side. I'm Dirk Christensen. This is the uh, roundtable. I'm going to quickly throw this uh, volume up to see if we may have Susan on the line here. We get that little bit of a glitch at times. So what we will do is move ahead and let you know that coming up at 1245 today, Alex Wojcicki will be talking about the Shell Creek Watershed Project that made history last Friday as it was removed now from the impaired waters list. Governor Ricketts, EPA's Scott Pruitt, local landowners and students all discuss the significance of that delisting. Coming up, we'll have that with our ag team as we move ahead. Then, Bryce Duskin at 1219 actually leads things off. Bryce from our studios in Lincoln, Emily Score is the CEO of Growth Energy, shares information about expanding the E15 blend of ethanol to year-round use and also talks about the refiner hardship waivers that have been granted by the EPA in that endeavor. Those are a couple of the stories that are coming up for you here on uh, your midday program. Now let's move it over to sports where we have Jason Jorgensen. Well, they're going to attempt. Now, this may not happen because uh, Mother Nature rules all. But uh, they're going to attempt to try to get three games in today at the College World Series after they had that big delay last night. So far in the first game that started at 10, they're in the middle of the fourth, and it is uh, Mississippi State. They have themselves a 4-1 lead over North Carolina. Now, the Weather Service thinks they should be able to get this game and the elimination game at 1 in, but they're not so sure about that. You were just talking about mm-hmm. the weather. That, yeah. that 6 o'clock one tonight might be a little dicey, but uh, they, they always have contingency plans for this type of stuff, and they'll handle it, but uh, that's an update on where things are at right now. Yeah. Also, it's become kind of a, a slow, painful process for us Royals fans to see one after another of the members of those great teams that made it the back-to-back World Series. Those guys either not signing due to free agency or being traded off. And another one of the big pieces was Kelvin Herrera yesterday. He was traded to the Nationals. So he's had a, Kelvin's had a very, very good year. Royals are certainly rebuilding, and when you're rebuilding... You don't need an all-star type closer. So yeah. <laughs> they've sent him to the Nationals for uh, three prospects, and hopefully those three guys eventually down the road can help Kansas City. So all of that a whole lot more coming up in sports. All right. We'll look forward to it. Thank you, Jason. And Bob Brogan's been looking at business. Stocks are falling on fresh worries over trade, and, uh, gee, that's uh, something new. <laughs> uh, fresh worries about a trade dispute between the U.S. and China. And although the uh, stocks have recovered somewhat from an early, uh, early slump, also a surge of construction in the Midwest drove U.S. housing starts up five percent in May, and uh, CVS Health is making prescription deliveries nationwide. Uh, We'll have more on that coming up. All right. Appreciate it very much. Thanks, everybody, for joining us here. This is Midday on the Rural Radio Network. 
All right, Paul Perkins has moved on into the microphone position behind the weather. And here we go with what is expected, and that might be just a little bit bumpy. Yes, exactly. Uh, they have increased the coverage area for the slight risk of severe storms. They usually do so about 1130 right now. Pretty much if you're in the southwest and south-central two-thirds of Nebraska, you are in at least a slight risk of severe storms. Also, we have an enhanced risk of severe storms over northwest and north-central Kansas uh, for today. All right. And the uh, regional ag weather course is always brought to you on uh, Tuesdays by Kuhlman Repair. Right now, we still have a little bit of light rain over northeast and north-central Nebraska, mainly to the north of Broken Bow, up to about Neely in the northwest cor- or northeast corner. But otherwise, pretty quiet as far as any moisture goes. Our temperatures in much of southern Nebraska and in northern Kansas in the upper 70s to the low 80s, but to the north of I-80, pretty much the low and mid-70s. Thunderstorms will become more likely as the day goes on, especially late this afternoon and tonight as an area of low pressure tracks east along the front. That's going to be right near the Nebraska-Kansas border. Severe storms are possible with hail to the size of ping-pong balls. That's always a favorite in broadcasting to say ping-pong balls. Ping-pong balls, and, uh, I, say, I always <laughs> love that one, and I'm sure <clears throat> we're about the only ones. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Winds gusting to as high as 70. Uh, strong as uh, along as south of the line. Once again, we do have that along as south of the line from Alliance now to Broken Bow and Columbus. We do have that slight risk of severe storms. Otherwise, an even higher chance of severe weather is with an enhanced risk that covers northwest and north-central Kansas. Heavy rains of 1 to 3 inches also possible. The greatest threat of heavy rain going to be right near the Nebraska-Kansas state line. Scattered thunderstorms will continue to develop in the overnight, and coverage will gradually push to the south as this system moves to the to the south this front does. Thunderstorms will likely linger through tomorrow morning, then redevelop by tomorrow afternoon. Looks like the best chances tomorrow will be in advance of that low into eastern Nebraska. Now, rain chances do diminish Thursday, and on the backside of that low, it could be rather cool and windy, especially compared to the hot and dry conditions we've had over the last few weeks. Friday looks to be dry, but more thunderstorm chances look to arrive Friday night and Monday with another area of low pressure. Now, in our long-term forecast, Nebraska and Kansas temperatures should start seasonal or near normal early next week. By midweek through the 2nd of July, those temperatures once again rebound to warmer than normal. Late June and early daytime highs make that late June and early July daytime highs in central Nebraska usually average in the mid-80s with overnight lows around 60. Our precipitation outlook expects above normal rainfall early next week in Nebraska and Kansas. Now, for the middle of next week through July 2nd, Nebraska rainfall will be near normal, but Kansas back to below normal levels. Top weather factors driving the market include a rainy period for the Midwest and a slow-developing monsoon in Indiana in India. Dry weather returned across the southern plains recently, where recent rain only limited the drought, uh, provided limited drought relief. Topsoil moisture is rated more than one-half very short-to-short in Texas, Oklahoma, Colorado, and Kansas. A wet pattern will prevail the next few days along a west-to-east axis from the central plains into the mid-Atlantic. Low pressure migrating east along a front will further focus that rainfall, and that could total two to four inches or more from Nebraska to the central Appalachians. Rainfall in the Midwest, along with cooler weather, will maintain the favorable conditions for corn and soybeans while causing some delays to seasonal field work. The northern plains continue to have favorable weather for development of spring wheat, corn, and soybeans. 
Northern sectors of the northern plains are likely to be drier the next seven days. And that will reduce their soil moisture somewhat, but mild weather will minimize the crop stress. In another weather factor, the leaning edge of the India monsoon remains stalled over the northern part of South India and northeast India. That's a continuing trend that's about one to two weeks, one to two weeks later than average. There are again signs that the monsoon rain may increase some over southern and in northeast India this week, but progress toward the northwest is still a bit uncertain for them, so very wet towards India. Absolutely. I almost thought you said Indiana yeah. uh, monsoon, and I was just about to get on the phone and call all my friends in Vincennes. <laughs> <laughs> Let them know it's coming. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, very rarely is India a weather factor, but uh, today it was. Indianapolis, run for your life. Yeah. <laughs> just kidding. And your ag weather is brought to you by Coleman Repair. Uh, be prepared because uh, we are, and when the Storm Center uh, has to go into action, we will certainly bring you the latest information, and that could very well happen today with those uh, those flash flood watches that have been posted all along the Nebraska-Kansas border and also some possibilities of, as we say, that uh, ping-pong word and also <laughs> up to, what, what, 70-mile-an-hour winds? Yeah, 70-mile-an-hour winds and, yeah, hail to the size of ping-pong balls and now that heavy rain really... Uh, looking to be a threat, but also some welcome rain on the way up to that hot and dry period that we've gone through the last few weeks. All right, well, we'll keep a close eye on it for you. Brought to you by Skeeter Barnes, the best beef and barbecue around, locations in Kearney and Columbus, and by American Family Insurance, serving Lexington and Kearney. Your ag weather brought to you by Coleman Repair, when you need weather anytime. KRVN.com. is looking to hold a fake meat public meeting. I'm Shaylee Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. Let's take a look at your midday ag news for a Tuesday. The Food and Drug Administration is seeking public comment on fake meat or foods produced using animal cell culture technology. The FDA will hold a public meeting next month to gather comments. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association says the organization will participate in the public meeting and will advocate for Department of Agriculture oversight of lab-grown fake meat products. NCBA claims that the FDA announcement disregards the authorities granted USDA under the Federal Meat Inspection Act, as well as USDA's significant science expertise and long-standing success in ensuring the safety of all meat and poultry products. Under the current regulatory framework, NCBA says the FDA plays an important role in terms of ensuring the safety of food additives used in meat, poultry, and egg products. All additives are initially evaluated for safety by the FDA, but ultimately USDA's Food Safety and Inspection Service maintains primary jurisdiction. The meeting is planned for July 12th with a comment period open through September. And legislation introduced last week in the U.S. Senate would revise existing trucking regulations to make the rules more flexible for drivers hauling livestock, according to the National Pork Producers Council. The Modernizing Agricultural Transportation Act would establish a working group at the Department of Transportation to examine the federal hours of service rules and electronic logging device regulations. The hours of service rules limit commercial truckers to 11 hours of driving time and 14 consecutive hours of on-duty time in any 24-hour period. Once drivers reach that limit, they must pull over and wait 10 hours before driving again. Electronic logging devices record driving data to enforce the rules. The legislation requires the Secretary of Transportation to establish a working group within 120 days to identify obstacles to the safe, humane, and market-efficient transport of livestock, insects, 
and other perishable agricultural commodities and to develop guidelines and recommendations for regulatory or legislative action to improve the transportation of those commodities. And the percentage of the U.S. corn crop rated in good to excellent condition improved slightly last week and is currently the highest in at least 20 years, according to the USDA NAS Weekly Crop Progress Report released yesterday afternoon. NAS estimated that 78% of the corn was in good to excellent condition as of Sunday, June 17th, and up one percentage point from 77% the week before. That's the highest rating for corn for this time of year in at least two decades, said DTN analyst Todd Holtman. The only notable problems were in Texas, where 23% of the corn was rated either poor or very poor, and Missouri, where 15% of the corn was rated poor to very poor. Meanwhile, soybean conditions slipped slightly from 74% the previous week to 73% last week. That's still a sign of good early conditions in most states except Missouri, where 19% of the soybeans were rated poor to very poor, Holtman said. Soybean planting was nearly complete by the end of last week, with 97% of the crop planted as of Sunday, ahead of the average pace of 91%. 90% of soybeans were ahead of the five-year average of 81%. NAS reported that 27% of the winter wheat was harvested as of Sunday, ahead of the five-year average of 19%. And sorghum was 89% planted as of Sunday, compared to 80% last week. Find a full detailed crop progress and condition report by visiting ruralradio.com as well as all of our other ag news, audio, and video and updated market information anytime. I'm Shaylee Peters, and you're listening to Ag News on the Rural Radio Network. The battle between the oil and ethanol industries continues, and the two sides have made their stances known. I'm Bryce Duskett reporting on the Rural Radio Network. Last week, ethanol industry leaders met in Omaha for the 34th annual Fuel Ethanol Workshop and Expo. There are many issues ethanol advocates are fighting for right now. Two of the biggest include expanding the 15% ethanol blend to year-round and protecting the integrity of the renewable fuel standard mandated by Congress. Emily Skor, CEO of Growth Energy, was one of the keynote speakers at the Fuel Ethanol Workshop. I caught up with Skor as she advocated for a variety of issues. I first asked her what she has learned about biofuels in Nebraska. Well, I mean, Nebraska is proud to be the second largest producer of ethanol in the country, 25 ethanol plants. Many of them are, are part of the Growth Energy Organization. And so a lot of what I've talked about with the local community business leaders here this morning is what we can do to continue to encourage growth for the great state of Nebraska and for the country as a whole. Now, that growth is a message you're, of course, talking about here in Omaha, Nebraska. But maybe more importantly right now, that's a conversation happening in the nation's capital. There's a lot of news reports that we cover each day of things that are happening. But I want to start out with this question. Why now? Why is there this huge push right now to expand E15 and expand the ethanol blending requirements? Well, as a country, the gasoline that we're using is blended with 10% ethanol. And so we've achieved that goal as an industry. And what we want to see is consumers using gasoline with higher blends of ethanol. If you put a fuel that has a 15% ethanol blend into your tank and it is available uh, in 28 states, you are going to get a 5 to 10 savings for an 88 octane fuel versus an 87 regular. So you get a little bit of boost in terms of the octane and the engine performance. It's a cleaner burning fuel, better for the environment because the more ethanol you use, the cleaner the emissions. And then you get the savings for the, for the pocketbook. SCORE has taken issue with the way the EPA has handled the Renewable Fuel Standard, or RFS. The RFS program is a national policy that requires a certain volume of renewable fuel 
to replace petroleum-based fuel. Refiners are not a fan and, with a waiver, can be exempt for a year of blending requirements. The waiver can be issued if the administrator determines that implementation of the RFS requirements would severely harm the economy or environment of a state, a region, or the United States. The EPA will set blending targets for every year. And so the blending targets for 2017 were 15 billion gallons of conventional corn ethanol is going to be blended into our transportation fuel mix. Now the EPA has the ability to grant a waiver. So if there's a small refinery that is claiming a severe economic hardship, it's really hard for us to blend biofuel. Can you please let us off the hook? EPA can do that and say, we're going to waive your obligations. You don't need to blend. Um, and so EPA has the ability to do that. But what we have learned through news reports, not from EPA, but through news reports, that they have quadrupled the number of waivers granted for 2017 relative to previous years. And in the way that they granted these waivers, which was in secret, okay, so we didn't know about this, they're not reassigning the obligation. So they aren't saying, all right, you don't have to blend, but the rest of the sector is going to have to make up that difference. Instead, that obligation just goes away. It disappears. And so the net impact is over a billion gallons of ethanol doesn't have to be blended for 2017. Uh, that has a material impact on us as an industry. And so that has been really at the heart of a lot of the angst uh, and frustration and a lot of the direct conversations with EPA and Administrator Pruitt. That was Emily Scores, CEO of Growth Energy. I'm Bryce Duskit reporting on the Rural Radio Network. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network and time to check now some ports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Derek. Well, weather threw a monkey wrench into the schedule of the CWS last night. Of course, thunderstorms delayed the Oregon State-Washington game, setting up a triple header on the schedule today. At this point, in a winner's bracket matchup in the bottom of the sixth, Mississippi State was leading North Carolina 4-1. to one. Now, Later on this afternoon, it's Texas against Florida, and tonight at 6, if the weather cooperates, it'll be Arkansas against Texas Tech. Another piece of Kansas City's championship puzzle has been traded away. The Nationals bolstered their bullpen by getting Kelvin and Herrera from the Royals for three minor leaguers. Herrera has been very good this year with 14 saves and an ERA just a touch over one. He'd allowed just three runs and over 25 innings of work. The two-time All-Star helped Kansas City win the 2015 World Series. Manager Nedio says it was sad to see him go. You know, it was one that was a little emotional, I think, you know seen him throw every pitch he's ever thrown in the big leagues. I've seen him, you know, come up, be a rookie, be a part of one of the best bullpens in, uh, you know, recent history. I've watched him become an all-star and a world champion. So, and we knew this day would, was coming somewhere down the road. So, but, uh, you know, it's again, it's a chance for him to go uh, play for a winner. The Royals received three minor leaguers in the deal, including infielder Kelvin Gutierrez, who is considered to be the 10th best prospect in the Nationals farm system. Former Husker Anton Gill is working out this week for the Charlotte Hornets. Gill grew up in North Carolina and says this has been a real thrill. If I was able to get a chance here, it would be a dream come true. This is a team that you know, I've watched since I was you know, this high. So you know, anytime I can come back home and, and be around an environment like this is a blessing. Gill is coming up a solid year at Nebraska and feels he could do a lot to help an NBA squad. For one, I compete. You know, I work hard. I love the game. I love to learn. I ask questions. And you know, I just think I'm a good basketball player. I can knock down shots. I can defend. You know, I can do whatever you ask me to do. So you know, I feel like I'm a guy that you could throw out there and, and can be effective. 
Gill hopes to land a free agent tryout with any club after the NBA draft this week. And the U.S. Women's National Volleyball team will hold its first red-blue inter-squad scrimmage of the match here this upcoming weekend in California. That scrimmage will be used in the evaluation process on selecting Team USA's 14-player roster for the Pan American Cup that's coming up later on this summer. Former Huskers Kelly Hunter, Justine Wongarantes, and Katie Rolfson are all a part of the team. That is a look at sports. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. A flash flood watch is in effect for the western panhandle until tomorrow afternoon. And a flash flood watch is in effect for southwest and south central Nebraska until tomorrow morning. I'm Dave Schroeder with news. Governor Pete Ricketts has weighed in on the stories of children being taken away from their parents at the U.S.-Mexico border. Governor Ricketts disagrees with the way the situation is being handled. Children should not be separated from their families. The previous policy of catch and release was unacceptable and made our border problem worse, but it does not make the expanded practice of separating children from their families humane. Ricketts urges reform of United States immigration policies, including building a wall hiring more border agents and going after businesses that recruit and hire illegal immigrants. He also wants to ensure that children don't get caught in the crossfire when it comes to Washington politics. There haven't been any volunteers to answer calls for help in a fire and rescue district near Lincoln three times this year, and it could happen again. The Southwest Fire and Rescue needs at least 10 more volunteers to cover the district, which serves more than 75 square miles west and southwest of Lincoln. The district posted an online survey last week seeking input from its patrons and sharing information about operating a volunteer squad over such a large area. Adam Power started working for Southwest 18 years ago. He says the district has seen its number of volunteer firefighters and EMTs drop almost by half since then. He says the Southwest will have to request raising the tax levy to fund hiring of firefighters if the district can't find volunteers. The U.S. Senate on Monday approved the fiscal year 2019 National Defense Authorization Act. U.S. Senator Deb Fischer, chair of the Senate Armed Services Subcommittee on Strategic Forces, voted in favor of advancing the bipartisan bill, which passed the Senate by a vote of 85 to 10. We have re-entered an era of great power competition. If we value our security and our prosperity, we must be prepared to support the men and women of our military so that they are able to win in this environment. Fisher says we face increasing challenges from China, which is investing millions in military modernization, and the Soviet Union, which continues to undermine democracies. Kansas Secretary of State Chris Kobach says his office will appeal a federal judge's ruling that Kansas cannot require proof of citizenship in order to vote. In a statement, Kobach said the ruling by federal judge Julie Robinson is an extreme conclusion that is unlikely to survive on appeal. Reporting from the KRVN News Center, I'm Dave Schroeder. They're putting the shell back in Shell Creek. Good afternoon to you. I'm Alex Wojcicki reporting on the Rural Radio Network. Well, last Friday, the Shell Creek watershed made history as it was the first watershed not only in the state but in the country to be removed from the impaired waters list for significantly reducing the amount of atrazine through a watershed management plan. 
A celebration for the accomplishment was held on a wooden bridge overlooking the Shell Creek watershed, where dozens of local landowners, students, and environmental groups gathered. Nebraska Governor Pete Ricketts gave opening comments at the ceremony, where he commended the local stewards for their efforts. It's an exciting day on a lot of different levels. First of all, this is the first time in the state of Nebraska and nationally that a watershed has been taken off the impaired waters list for atrazine because of an environmental management improvement plan like this one. Now, as you know, this has been a long-term effort. The Shell Creek Watershed Improvement Group actually formed originally back in 1999, and it has been since 2006 this watershed has been on the impaired waters list. So this is a big team effort to get to where we are today. But not only is this a first-in-the-nation type project where this has happened, it also really represents all the things that are great about Nebraska. One of the things I always say is that the original conservationists were our farmers and ranchers. And what you saw today is that it has been the effort of those over 240 landowners who have put in conservation efforts, like using no-till practices, buffer and filter strips, and cover crops, to be able to make this happen. It also highlights one of the great things about Nebraska, is that when we have a problem, we pull together to solve that problem. And that's really what the leadership of the Shell Creek Watership, uh, Watershed Improvement Group has done. EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt also made an appearance. He spoke about the significance of the delisting and the leadership that made it happen. 110 miles of this creek that needed remediation, needed cleanup to get atrazine out. And it was not the EPA, it was not government officials that got together and said, we need to do something about that. It was landowners in this area, in Nebraska, to say, we must take ownership and do something about it. Over 240 ranchers in this area, farmers, joined together to contribute money, resources, time, and expertise to clean up this creek and to get, get it delisted. You care more about water quality, you care more about air quality than any bureaucrat in Washington, D.C. And they can be rest assured of this. I will tell your story in the rest of the country about the great work in Nebraska and what happened here today. Fred Ferringer, a local landowner and member of the Shell Creek Watershed Improvement Group, joined forces with over 240 fellow landowners to make a difference. Well, that's exactly right. You know, we did stick together, and uh, and it, it, it did work. I'm surprised it did, but it did. One of, one of the things I remember is that flooding back then was really prevalent, and we really wanted get a handle on that and it's kind of interesting because Mark Sire always could tell us how many tons of, of soil went below Shell Creek bridges you know and I don't remember what the tons uh, were but it's just amazing uh, how many tons of dirt was going down. Ray Flood also a member of the improvement group expanded on Ferringer's comment. At one test what they do is they take a beaker of water they measure the water flow and then they dry that beaker of water, and then they measure the soil in that beaker. And at one time, we were getting enough going through Bridge at Newman Grove to cover a football field in soil. Can't tell you exact numbers today, but it has really reduced in, in the amount. Research and chemical tests expanded into student opportunities within the Shell Creek Watershed Monitoring Program. Abby Peakey, a 2018 Newman Grove graduate, discussed the program and its research. 
So with our project, what we do is we go out and test six different sites in the Shell Creek watershed. And today I just went through the nine different tests that we do. Most of the time, I'm the one doing the chemical testing up in the van while everybody is doing the tests down in the water. Some of my specialties that I like to do are turbidity and pH. Even though I don't get to do all of them, I know I'm still doing my part. Abby also highlighted the impact the monitoring program has on the students who participate. There has been a total of 108 kids that have been a part of this project since 2002. And even though a lot of the kids haven't gone into a degree or getting a job in natural resources. It helps all of us be better stewards of the land. A prime example is Rebecca Stone, who is also a 2018 Newman Grove graduate. I'm actually not going into the agriculture field. I want to be a nurse, but this has definitely helped my social skills and it's definitely helped my environmental stewardship. So yeah, even though I'm not going into this, it definitely has impacted me. And for Newman Grove and Schuyler Central High School students who aren't already involved in the watershed monitoring program, Abby Peaky gives her words of wisdom as she nears the end of her four-year involvement. Yes, you're going to want to sleep in during the summer, but when you're a part of something like this, it just makes you feel special. A lot of schools and different programs don't have something like the Shell Creek Watershed to be a part of. And they need to take advantage of the uniqueness of this project because they're going to learn things with this project that they're going to take with them for the rest of their lives. Representatives from the Nebraska Department of Environmental Quality, Lower Platte North NRD, and USDA Natural Resources Conservation Service, among others, were also in attendance to make the announcement. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Alex Wojcicki reporting. Back on the Rural Radio Network as we look at these livestock futures and comments from Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Cattle uh, made a nice little comeback today. After opening uh, lower lower uh, throughout the day, uh, they made a nice comeback here. Uh, I think uh, we started, I think, with some short covering. We do have a cattle on feed report coming out on Friday, and I think that's where that kind of started. There's a lot of talk about lower uh, lower placements, uh, a little bit uh, uh, fewer cattle on feed than uh, the previous month. So uh, it it uh, showed up in some pretty good uh, profit taking uh, after being down under uh, some pretty good pressure early. Uh, cutouts at noon were uh, uh, a little bit better, and that uh, that helped uh, attitudes right there, but. Uh, Overall, uh, a pretty good uh, finish with uh, higher market. The feeders also a little bit higher, particularly in the back end, is uh, figuring that uh, we've placed so many cattle that uh, the feeders uh, uh, probably aren't going to be as plentiful as they have been, and uh, that uh, that pushed things uh, along. So uh, over in the hogs. They started out lower, stayed lower virtually all day long. Triple-digit losses out of the front end. Uh, cash seems to be kind of waffling now, and uh, uh, looked like it might be a little bit easier. And uh, we've had a good run in the hogs, and I think some profit taking also showed up there. Uh, Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal at Great Plains Commodities. This is the Rural Radio Network. 
tariff issues with China. Good afternoon. I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Peter Navarro, who serves as the assistant to the president and director of trade and industrial policy and the director of the White House National Trade Council, held a briefing with the media to talk about this issue with China. Yesterday, in response to the imposition of $50 billion worth of retaliatory tariffs by China, President Donald J. Trump indicated in a statement that he has, and I quote, directed the United States Trade Representative to identify $200 billion worth of Chinese goods for additional tariffs at a rate of 10%. After the legal process is complete, these tariffs will go into effect if China refuses to change its practices and also if it insists on going forward with the new tariffs that it has recently announced. The trade relationship between the United States and China must be much more equitable, unquote. The statement that followed, the USTR indicated the following, quote, initial tariffs that the president asked us to put in place were proportionate and responsive to forced technology transfer and intellectual property by the Chinese. And there's a lot of concern about these tariffs being put into place and its effects on American businesses and American farmers. Navarro kept stressing that the president has their backs. As China has done, um, if basically China does any, takes any actions to harm our companies operating in China or otherwise tries to harm um, any corporate entity, farmer, rancher, whatever, those constitute uh, actions uh, which are unacceptable as well. And this president will have the backs um, of Americans, whether they're uh, here uh, on a farm in Iowa or uh, in Shanghai uh, trying to operate uh, some kind of operation there. During the Q&A of today's press briefing from the White House, it was brought up the $624 million in losses because of tariffs already to soybean farmers, of which Navarro was asked, what do you tell that soybean farmer with the crop in the ground? Let me be uh, clear again about what I just said. President Trump will have the backs of all Americans who may uh, be targeted by Chinese actions. And with respect to the farmers in Iowa um, or any other state, um, Sonny Perdue, the Secretary of Agriculture, um, and his assistant, Ray Starling, have been working um, on measures that will have the backs of farmers. Uh, This is not the appropriate time to reveal those on a call like this, but I can assure you that we are not unprepared uh, and that President Trump with uh, courageous public servants like Sonny Perdue uh, will be there for the American farmers. The president had uh, directed the USTR to start with 50 billion but have 100 billion in waiting. The response of the Chinese in their latest action, uh, I think, um, signaled to the president uh, an intention that that he uh, did not uh, appreciate. I again quote from his statement, this latest action by China clearly, clearly indicates its determination to keep the United States at a permanent and unfair disadvantage. Comments from Peter Navarro during today's White House press briefing. I'm Susan Littlefield on the World Radio Network. 
Wild day today in the grain markets, as well as livestock futures. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network as we talk with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter, This Week in Grain. We've talked about these uh, tariffs and how soybean prices hit the lowest point in two years with that announcement. Well, the hard red winter wheat futures actually got hurt the worst percentage-wise, didn't they? Yeah, wheat's got a delivery issue here, and I think that's, if you rewind this three years, and really going back, July delivery last year was a little different because you had such the, the rally in the spring wheat market, but, uh, you know, 2014, or 2015, 16, and then really like September 17 delivery, we would see this just fall to $4. And really high threes, if you recall. And then I'd then go off the board, and then we'd go to the September delivery or the December delivery, and then rewash again. As the, those contracts came into delivery, we would essentially make a contract low. Uh, given where we are here, obviously I don't think contract lows are going to be going to be met. But I think the next two days are going to be ugly, if if, if not flat sideways. I have a kind of hard time seeing a big big buy program coming in here uh, in a shorter run. Now, once we get into delivery, the one big difference in KC wheat from a year ago would be the basis. Basis a year ago was 50 under, now it's 20 over. A lot of central Kansas is dealing with a positive basis, so I think delivery could be a little bit more. I guess helpful to price, but I think in the short term you're going to wash out all the longs. There's a big, big spec long position. The two markets that have really been hammered, corn and beans, have seen those those markets washed out. A lot of the length is essentially gone now as those folks have liquidated. Markets like cotton and market like markets like wheat still have hefty positions. So we saw wheat cotton close limit down today, and wheat obviously you mentioned uh, the biggest loser on the board percentage wise. I think corn and beans have made their lows here. I think obviously trading six fifty sixty cents off those lows is pretty good validation of it, uh, especially in the case of soybeans. But uh, for the case of wheat, I, I still think maybe we see our, uh, a four sixty level uh, before the end of the week. Maybe put some panic into folks. Uh, and that would be why I would say don't chase the corn market yet. I think there could be a little bit of a kind of a one step forward, one step back type of action now. But I do think as we get into July 1, even with conditions as good as they are, there should, should be some buy premium coming. Thanks, John. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com. And uh, the corn did finish the day two to two and a quarter lower, but 15 cents off the lows. And he mentioned the soybeans at 55 uh, cents off the lows, almost as much as 60 cents, but corn, soybeans rather, down 19 to 20. Chicago wheat futures down 10. Kansas City wheat futures 14 and a quarter to 16 and a quarter lower. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network.